It's, uh, it's an honor for me to stand here and introduce someone. If you've been around for more than about 12 years, you will know that Martin and Esther uh, belong to this community. So they were part of the Christian Center for a lot of years that was the mother church of this network in those years. But I don't want to introduce him as a son of this house. I had lots of introductions like that that were about short trousers and people who knew my father and all that stuff. Well, it made people really ready to hear the word of the Lord, didn't it? So a, lo a lot of years ago, a conversation that Martin and I had that I don't think I've ever spoken about. We were looking at the possibility of bigger buildings and how we could uh, engage more people. And he said to me one day, well, why would any, any of us from our generation assume that we are going to have the grace to grow the size of congregations of which there were only a few in this country that were the size of what the Christian Center was in those days? And I'm glad to say to you that the son of this house is a man of God who 11 and a half years ago with Esther went to Coventry and has seen something of the grace of God and has grown in this generation, one of those churches. And I invite you to open your hearts and hear the word of the Lord from a man of God. David, thank you so much. What an absolute joy to be with you. What an incredible gathering. This, you need a bigger building. And uh, this is just so great and an absolute joy for Esther and myself to be with you. We're super conscious that there's a majority of you here in the room never seen us, probably never heard of us. And yet, as David says, with others, there is, there is history. Um, I moved with my family to Nottingham when I was 11 years of age. At the age of 17, my family got ambushed. Oh, that, I wasn't expecting that to go up so soon. That, that's for those of you that remember us leaving with little kids. Uh, this is us now, uh, but you can, you can take that down now. Uh, I don't even get distracted by, by that. Um, what I wanted to say was, you know, we were, uh, I was 17, my family got ambushed by Jesus. My mom went to uh, a meeting with a friend, didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. She was baptized in the Holy Spirit without knowing what had happened to her. Uh, knelt by her bed the next day to say the Lord's Prayer, which is all she really knew to do, and began speaking in tongues and uh, didn't know what it was. Had to phone her friend, said, what on earth have you done to me? And um, th that was the beginning, really, of us having a transformation in our family. And then pretty soon, uh, we became part of Christian Center Nottingham, as was then. And then I went off to university, and in my first week, got a visit from my Christian union leader, uh, who happened to be John Fahey. And um, amazing. So uh, we met at university in Birmingham, and then I came back. I came back from university and was part of a leadership training school at the time under John Pettifer, who many of you will know. Where's John? Uh, John, why don't you just stand for us? This is you, know John. So this is... Can you still stand? Yeah, John... I was just checking John could still stand. He was, uh, and, uh, and on that year, uh, Remy Anekwe, who leads Renaissance Church with, with Pearl, who's in uh, Nigeria today, uh, and Sarah Fahey, who leads Eagle Nest with John, and myself were part of that first cohort. So we have history. 
And uh, it's an absolute joy for us to be back here today and uh, super delighted. I spent a lot of my early adult years uh, in prayer and ministry for this incredible city of Nottingham. And, um, you know, some of you have been surprised if you knew us uh, that I now have some gray hair. But I don't know if you expected me to be frozen in time. Uh, this is what happens. Uh, we get older. Uh, but today I want to turn to the Word of God. If you have a Bible, why don't you come with me to... Uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 35. If you'd like a title for today, it's Back to Bethel. Back to Bethel. And what I'd like to do is set the scene here as you make your way to Genesis, chapter 35. I, I want to I wanna declare today that there is literally nothing more precious in my life than the presence of God. Than the, or, than the manifest presence of God. I'm not talking about the omnipresence of God. We understand that God is omnipresent, right? That he is everywhere. There's nowhere that he is not. Psalm 39 says it like this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. There's nowhere God is not. But there are times when he makes his presence felt. When we know that he is among us, there are times in our services in Coventry because we are passionate about the presence of God. We are ruined for anything less than the presence of God. And I refuse to do a Christian life, which is a form of Christianity, where I don't engage with God himself because he has opened the door for that. The temple curtain is torn from top to bottom in order that we might come into his manifest presence. And sometimes I'll turn to Esther on the front row and I'll say, the Lord is here. And it's not that he wasn't here, it's that he has made his presence felt. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about today. Let me say, if you don't know what I'm talking about today, if you turn your heart towards him, if you set your heart to seek him, you will find him and you will know what I am talking about. But I'm guessing by the reaction in the room, most of us, we understand what it is to experience the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing more precious than that. Moments when the atmosphere changes, moments that in my life have transformed me, that I have been ruined from. Like when Elijah throws his cloak onto Elisha and Elisha's life is ruined for anything less than the anointing, than the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. There are some people coming to our services uh, who are not used to church and begin to weep and they don't know why they're weeping. The truth is God is everywhere, but they didn't weep in Greg's. Because God wasn't manifest in Greg's, but when he manifests his presence, it changes us for everything. My connection with you here today is in many ways because of the presence of God. Uh, David Sherman, a spiritual father to me who's just introduced me. When I was 17 and a brand new Christian, I was taken by a friend to a meeting in West Bridgeford and... Uh, he was the preacher on a Saturday or a Sunday night. I can't remember. It wasn't a regular Sunday morning service. And I didn't have the language for it then, but my spirit came alive. Something happened to me. It was the anointing on his life, the presence of God, and I was ruined for anything less. And I made my way to his church, and I sat on the back row because I just had to be near, if I could, to something that I'd experienced there. I hope you understand what I'm talking about today. And yet, it is my conviction that God doesn't want us just to visit those places, to have those moments occasionally. I thank God for moments. Who knows? We need moments, but we also need momentum. 
I can look back to those moments, the, the epiphanies, the, the encounters, the time when God appeared to me as it were. And yet my desire is not just to visit occasionally, but to dwell. And I believe that is God's desire for us too. And that's really what I'm talking about today, that we might move from occasional encounter to permanent habitation. If you're at Genesis 35, then we'll read 1 to 15. This is what the Bible says. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there. Can we say settle there? Go up to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, get rid of your foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out. And the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar. And he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel. So it was named Alon Bacchus, the oak of weeping. After Jacob returned to Bethel from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. And kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set a stone pillar at the place where God had talked to him. And he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. You might wonder what this story has to do with us in 2023. Uh, Let me say a couple of things about that. Firstly, the New Testament tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 and in Romans 15 verse 4 that the stories of the Old Testament are recorded for us and written down for us as warnings and as encouragements that we might understand the ways of God. And so we look at these stories, not purely as history, but to glean what are they saying to us today. And I believe God will be saying something to us today from this story. And secondly, this story will make no sense to us if we don't understand what Bethel was to Jacob. Bethel was Jacob's place of encounter. Most of you will know the Bible well enough to know that in chapter 28 of Genesis, Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau who has threatened to kill him because Jacob's just stolen Esau's birthright. And while he is fleeing, he's on the run. The Bible tells us he came to what is described as a certain place. I think a nondescript place, uh, it would just happen to be the place where he was. But as he laid his head down to sleep that night, God appeared to him. And appeared to him so powerfully and dramatically that he got up in the morning and he said, How awesome is this place? This is nothing other than the house of God. God was in this place and I didn't even know it. And he called it Bethel, which means the house of God. 
And later on in chapter 32, God appears to Jacob again in a dream and God announces himself as something he doesn't call himself in any other place in the Bible. He says, I am the God of Bethel. What is he saying to Jacob? He's saying, do you remember when we met? I am he who met you in that place. I am the God of Bethel. Bethel was Jacob's place of encounter. It was the place where he met God. It was the place where his life had been changed. It's the place. And he says here to those that are with him, God has been with me all of my life. And yet in those moments, he knows Bethel is a special place. It's the place where he encountered God. And here God is saying to him, will you go to Bethel and settle there? Will you live in a place of encounter? Will you dwell in the place of my presence? Will you allow for us, 2023, that we might not just visit the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit from time to time, but would we be dwellers in the presence of the Holy Spirit? And I'd like us to take note of a, a few things here this morning. Firstly, I'd like us to take note of the fact there is an invitation It's actually an instruction. It's a command. Go to Bethel and settle there. But my point is that it wasn't Jacob saying to God, can I go to Bethel again? It was God saying to Jacob, I want you to go to Bethel. And as much as we might desire to be in the presence of God, I believe God himself desires us to be in that place. The Holy Spirit, he is longing for us to come to him and to dwell. And in my experience, when I make room for him, he comes Jeremiah 29, you will find me when you seek me, when you seek me with all of your heart. But there is an invitation. There's an invitation by the way of the cross. But I believe it is God's desire that we would dwell with him. That the the way is made open that we would approach the throne of grace with confidence. This is the desire of God. The Hebrew word veseb to settle where God says to him, would you go to Bethel and Veseb there? Would you dwell? Would you remain? Would you live? Would you, would you put your roots down? Don't longer just visit, but would you stay at Bethel? I thank God for those moments. But we have to learn to be dwellers in the presence of God. We have to learn to be those that, that will tabernacle with God in the place of the Holy Spirit, that we might come back to Bethel and dwell there. I remember coming back from university here to Nottingham as part of this leadership training school and and beginning a journey of learning to dwell in the presence of God. Learning to get up early and to seek God and to be in the Word and to change my playlist and to listen to worship and, and to get to the place where I could just speak His name name of Jesus and sense his presence. I remember having some profound encounters in that season. It's probably a three-month period where I, I dwelt in the presence of the Holy Spirit for the first time, a sustained period in my life. I remember having a powerful encounter in the pastor aisle in Asda. I was working in Asda in my afternoons, and as I just started to worship in that place, stacking shelves, To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live, I live. And the presence of God fell in the pastor aisle. (laughs) I kid you not. But will we be dwellers in the presence? Will we seek 
to settle that. I believe there is an invitation for us. I believe it is the desire of God. God says to him, go back to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there. There's much we could say about altars, but one thing that I have come to understand about altars, they are a place of reciprocation. They are not merely a place of sacrifice. They are a place of sacrifice. They are a place of worship. The altars in our lives, the altars in our hearts, that we would build an altar before the Lord and we come as worshippers to respond what he, to what He has already done for us. And yet in my experience, when we do that, He comes and encounters us. We put our offering on the altar and He brings fire upon it and we encounter something of Him. And then we worship Him all the more and He encounters us all the more. Altars are a place, not just that we bring something to say thank you, but where we meet with Him. And He's saying here to Jacob, go back to Bethel, settle there, and make it a place of an altar that I might be with you and dwell with you. This is an invitation for you today. It is an invitation. I understand it. I don't know. Maybe you love these times together. It can be strange for all of us when we come out of our normal routine, but I believe there is an invitation to you today to take a step, to make a heart response. also want us to notice there's a cost. You could call it a response or a preparation or a consecration or a purification, but do you notice that when God says to Jacob, Will you go back to Bethel and settle there and build an altar? Jacob turns to all the people and said, we've got to deal with some stuff. He says, get rid of your foreign idols. Change your clothes. Purify yourselves. Wow. I remember reading this earlier this year. and, and I'd never seen this before. Being impacted. That Jacob who says, this is the God who has been with me all of my life. And yet in that season where he's not in the place of God's presence. Even though God has been with him and we can live as Christians and God is with us. And yet there are things we allow in our lives. But he knows that if they're going to Bethel, they need to sort some stuff out. They deal with their stuff. They tolerated certain things. They tolerated idols in their midst. Jacob had tolerated idols in their midst. But if they're going to be dwellers in the presence, he knows they, they have to get rid of these things. They have to deal with See, we don't have any idols, do we? We don't have any foreign gods. We're only careers and houses and cars and reputations and phones that we can't put down. Hello? They had to get rid of some things. They had to change some things. They had to remove some things. Sometimes in our lives we can have what I, I think we might understand as, to us, acceptable sin, if I can say it like that. Not acceptable to God, but somehow, some, somewhere, within our lives or our psyche, we, there are some things that, that we know are not ideal, but we don't even repent of them anymore. We allow them to coexist within our walk with God. We might not want our pastors to know or our life group leaders, small group leaders to know or our praying mothers to know. And if we're going to be dwellers in the presence, I have come to believe I need to deal with these things. Oh, hear me right. It's all by grace. 
It's all, it's all by grace. I can't earn anything. But if I'm going to be a dweller in the presence of God, it's appropriate that I consecrate my life. And there might be some things I have to put aside. There might be some things if I'm taking a step that I have to, I have to deal with. Remember the first time, which was when I was here in Nottingham, part of the ministry at, at Christian Center, doing my first full, full food fast for 21 days. And towards the end of that, that time, I, I had a powerful encounter with God. If I've ever heard God speak, it was on that day. And I remember I was on this little lean-to. I'd call it a lean-to. It wasn't a conservatory. You could have pushed it over and it would have collapsed. Um, but it was where I was on that day, on my knees seeking God. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, Martin, will you be obscure for me? Now, you've got to understand at that time I was in ministry. I, I believe there was a call on my life to, to Christian leadership and to preach. The Holy Spirit, will you be obscure for me? Will you be hidden? Will you be where no one knows who you are and no one sees you? I remember saying, God, why, why would you want me to be obscure when you've spoken these words over my life? I, and he said, will you be obscure for me? I remember wrestling. I literally thought my life was going to change. I saw myself working as a carer in my mind's eye, serving somebody in a wheelchair, just being hidden, a change of life. I remember wrestling, thinking, God, I'd be terrible at that anyway. The truth is, I would have been. But I felt he was asking me, he was calling me to obscurity, and I, and I don't know. It felt like an eternity. It was probably 20 minutes. But I remember coming to a place on my knees of saying, God, if you want me to be obscure for me, if you will go with me, I will be obscure for you. I'd no longer caught my breath. Then the Holy Spirit said, will you be prominent for me? Let me tell you, if you've ever embraced obscurity, the ugliest thing on the planet is prominence. I was like, no, 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 I'm good with obscurity. Like, seriously, I don't want to be prominent. Why would I want to be prominent? I don't want to be talked about over Sunday lunch. I don't want my kids in the spotlight. Lord, I am good with obscurity. I'm like, Lord, send Ali Kent. It's like, let's seriously, it's like, like I, I'm, I, don't need, I don't need this. Will you be prominent for me? I remember reaching the same place of saying, God, if you go with me, I'd be prominent for you. And I hadn't caught my breath. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, will you give me your house? Now, I, we lived in a three-bedroom semi. It wasn't much to write home about. And I didn't think it meant anything to me until the Holy Spirit came and asked me for it. And I was like, Lord, give me a break. Go and pick on John Fahey. I'm like, seriously, like, Why? Will you give me your house? And I honestly thought we might need to sell our house and any equity that was there, give it away. I remember saying, Lord, you can have everything. You can have my house. He was checking me for foreign gods because he was taking me into a new season of dwelling in his presence. I want to tell you this, there will be a cost. I've found to be a presence dweller. I have to walk in holiness, commit to humility, embrace repentance, refuse unforgiveness, in my life, go after consecration. They change their clothes. It can be like a reset. There's some things we maybe need to do. Maybe some things that are on us. Like Gilgal and Joshua 5. Maybe some things of the past that are on us and we can't even see that they're on us. They changed their clothes. They purified themselves and they set out for Bethel. Thirdly, there's a journey. You might feel daunted, but I... I want you to be encouraged today. They set out 
You know, sometimes we can come to these moments and go, I, I know myself too well. I have tried a reset before. But all we can ever do is set out. All we can ever do is begin. But the Bible says when they set out, the fear of God descended on all the surrounding towns. So no one touched their journey. And in my experience, I've had my fair share of battles and challenges and opposition. Like I'm sure you have. But whenever I've set my heart to seek God, nothing's ever got in the way. Other than my own flesh. God will protect your walk if you want to be a presence dweller. He will watch over you. But you also notice earlier in his life that, that Jacob, he has sought God and he has found God alone. The first time in Bethel is an encounter by himself. Uh, just a couple of chapters earlier, he's, he's there and he sends everyone ahead of him when he's going to go and be reunited with Esau. He wants to be alone and he wrestles with God and he encounters God and he's blessed by God. But here God says, will you settle at Bethel? And he had to go with others. And I've come to know that if I'm really going to be a presence dweller, I need others in my life. I need others that are also trying to seek after God and live in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Who are trying to dwell as the people of the Spirit. My friends, we are the people of the Holy Spirit. It is our distinctive, isn't it? What, how else are we going to reach Nottingham? How else are we going to transform lives? How else is the light of Christ going to shine through us if not by the power of the Holy Spirit? But we need each other. If we're going to make a significant journey, we need each other. We need brothers and sisters around us that we can pray with, that can, can help us, that can lift us up, that where we can spur one another on. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one will sharpen another. I thank God for the brothers with whom I can pray, with whom I can seek after God, who have, oh, are seek, trying to seek to live consecrated lives. There is a journey. But let me also encourage us that there is an impact. Drew, why don't you come and, and join me? There's an impact. There's a consequence. You know, Jacob sets out for Bethel, and when he gets there, the Bible says, God appeared to him. Can we say appeared? God appeared to him. He said, Jacob, will you go back to Bethel and settle there? And when he got there, God appeared to him. He met him there. When we set our hearts and we set out, God will meet us. Let me tell you, you will never set your heart to be in the presence of God and him not show up for you and him not come. His heart is to meet with us. The Bible tells us that he blessed Jacob. Those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied. There have been those times in my life, I'm sure like you, where I've needed God to speak and the heavens have been like brass. There have been seasons where I haven't known where God is. But you know, when I've set my heart to be in his presence, sooner or later, I have always encountered him. Do you notice also that the Lord changes Jacob's name? He says, you've been called Jacob, but you're no longer going to be called Jacob. It's in the presence of God that we understand who we are. That our identity changes. It's not the first time he said this. This is actually the second time he said it to him. But he says it to him again. He says, from now on, you'll be called Israel. He'd been called Jacob because it means grasped at the heel, deceiver. Because he'd come out of the womb, holding on literally to his brother's heel. And then he lived a life of, of 
deceiving and being deceived. But Israel, it comes out that moment where he wrestled with God. And, and really it means triumphant with God. And he says, you're not going to be called deceiver anymore. You're going to be called triumphant with God. Some of us, we've allowed names to be on us. Maybe things that have been spoken over us and we've internally reinforced them. We've spoken them over ourselves. And in his presence, he'll say, mm, that's not your name. That's not who you are. We'll understand that we are something else. In the presence of God, Jacob has a personal revelation. I, I love it. God says, I am God Almighty. And we could read it and think it means nothing. But he, he says to him that God Almighty, he, the Hebrew is El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. What we've got to understand is that, that El Shaddai is the name, the all-sufficient one. It's the name that, that God revealed to Abraham, his granddad. He appeared to Abraham and he said, I am El Shaddai. I am the all-sufficient one. And Jacob would have heard the name. He knew the name because grandpa had heard El Shaddai. When he's about to leave the house because Esau is, is going to kill him. His father, Isaac, he reaches out to him and he says, May El Shaddai bless you. His dad knew El Shaddai. And he comes to Bethel. And now God says to Jacob, I'm El Shaddai. He, he reveals himself personally. Who knows there are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God, only sons and daughters in every generation. <laughs> if we will dwell in his presence, we'll have our own revelation. I thank God for the revelation of my fathers. Some of us, we've grown up in Christian homes and thank God for a Christian upbringing. Some of us, we've come to know who God is because we've served under men or women of God and they've helped us understand. But you know, God really wants to reveal himself to us. That we wouldn't just know he's El Shaddai because someone else told us he was El Shaddai, but because he comes and says, I'm El Shaddai. And I'm all sufficient to you. And he comes and he promises him. He promises him influence and increase. Ah, he says, go and... You will increase. You will have nations and communities of nations. He says, kings are going to come out of you. Not your father or your father's father, Jacob. You're going to be a man of influence. And he promises him the land that he promised to Abraham and to Isaac. You know, God wants to use our lives. Does anyone believe God wants to use our lives? I profoundly believe God wants to use your life. But the key to our influence, the, the key to our promise, the connection to our destiny is going to be found in the presence of the Almighty. You know, John and the team have engineered today and front-loaded the service so we could have time to respond. I wonder if the band deck, could you... Dex and the band, would you come and join us?
I want to invite you as the band come onto the platform just to consider your own heart today. To understand there's an invitation to you to respond. To be a presence dweller. To be someone that settles in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't know, I, I've had seasons of my life where just the busyness of life, even as a minister of the gospel, not even battling with a marketplace job and the demands of life. As a minister of the gospel, I've been so busy. I've drifted. But I've come to places and moments like this and I've said, God, I must be in your presence. I need you and I desire you. I'm going to invite us to, to make a response here today to Respond to the word uh, that the Lord may be speaking to you. If he's coming and drawing you and saying, will you come closer? Will you draw near? Some of us, I'm going to invite us in a, in a moment to stand and for some of us to step out of our seats. And it might get messy and to come here down the front. Why? Because I think they set out and I think something important happens when we set out. When we physically take a step. We say, God, I'm coming after you. I want to be a presence dweller. I want to I settle in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to get up in the morning and sense you with me. I don't want to go from Sunday to Sunday or from month to month or season to season or even year to year. I want to know that you're with me. I want my house and my home to be like Obed-Edom's where the presence of God dwells. I need you, Holy Spirit, in my life to be empowered for witness. Some of us, we might, we might have idols or things or distractions or, or habits or just some stuff where today we can come and say, God, let this be a Shechem, a place where I bury some stuff that has not been helping me. Friends, can we stand together?